just don't wear your headphones. Like if your mic is recording. But I gotta. How am I gonna hear you, Daniel? Oh, are you hearing me through your headphones? How else would I hear you? I don't know, I'm, man. I've just I got my hair I don't know. I have man. to hear you through through the Instagram live. <clears throat> my mom is very excited. She's obviously the only one that was gonna join this. Um, I think it's I, just I think it's I, just your mom, and then it's my dad is also on the line. Is that is that oh, your my dad? cousin? And then my cousin just joined as well. What up, Nels? Oh, right on. What's up, everybody? Um, yeah, we just uh, we're both snowed in here in Portland, Oregon. It's it's the this might be the heaviest I've seen in the eight years that I've been here now, but. It seems like about every other year we get we get one of these uh, snowstorms. Yeah, dude, I spent fucking ninety minutes today <clears throat> shoveling snow, and it's like shoveling cement. This shit is so heavy. <laughs> oh my god, it's just horrible. <laughs> um, yeah, I took a drive yesterday. It was it was intense, but uh, you just gotta stay confident. You gotta fucking you gotta know. How to maintain momentum, <clears throat> and you yep. got to know when you're coming down those hills off the off the uh, the exit ramps to just like take it slow because if you have to brake quickly when you get to the bottom of that thing, it's probably donezo if you if you're in like a regular kind of four door yeah. sedan like I am. So it's like sure. if you're careful, I feel like you can do it, but it's uh, and people make this fun is of great. the. This is great sage advice on how to drive in the snow from a Californian. Right? Just be careful. Yeah. Be careful. Go but it's, slowly. It's like, I you don't know, man. It. We, we, uh, the Pacific Northwest and probably the, the whole West Coast kind of gets made fun of for like what happens when it snows, but there's just like really no infrastructure for it here. You know, the yeah, way that there bad. is in the places that it snows regularly. So if we're going to have a snowstorm every other year, they're not going to have all this dedicated shit to taking care of it. For sure. Yeah. No, the streets are just untouched. It's just, it's mayhem. Um, I just went to the grocery store. The fucking grocery store around the corner for me is close. They're like, yeah, sorry. We closed at three. And I was Dude, like, they, oh, the fuck? <laughs> I mean, we closed our bakery. All the burger bills are closed. Yeah, but the grocery store, like you don't expect <laughs> the grocery store to be closed because it snowed six inches. Like, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's just Portland. They, hey, you know that they even shut down like all of the TriMet shit. So no public transportation. None of the buses are up. Wow. Like, yeah, we're we're sitting this one out. Well, enough about Portland weather, Dan. <laughs> Why? Uh, this is so topical for the people that are listening in Florida, like my mom. Yeah. Or or my other friends in California who've joined. Uh, <laughs> no, I want to know more about. Did you go down this clown rabbit hole or not? So for those yeah. listening, let's, if you didn't, set, if you didn't, this up. if you didn't catch the last episode, we had um, we had this woman on who mentioned that the in the Protestant church there's like a serious uh, like a clown bend. Like lots of people get into clowning, yeah. And I it took us it took back, us by surprise, like, man. Listening like in the moment, I was definitely like, "What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> this is, can't be Both, real. You yeah. have to be making this up." 
But Dan did some research and it's a real thing. And so I can't wait to hear more about how people in the church have gotten into being clowns. Yeah. Just uh, as if they weren't clowns already. Yeah. I think it, we were both taken back, um, by this comment that, that cookie made on last week's episode. And it just seems so far out, right? It seemed like some like one-off bullshit. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, you just knew somebody who did that, and now you're trying to generalize." But yeah, so I kind of yeah, I went, I went in, man. I went in and I and I dug in to it a little bit, and it did not take me long to find things on clowns for Jesus, or uh, it seems to be very popular in the presbyterian church clowns for jesus first off i don't know if i'm alone in this but i hate clowns right i know i've this always about hated you. clowns never cared for them even as an adult i'm not like particularly like terrified of them but if a clown just like showed up in my life for no reason if i was at the park walking around and all of a sudden there was a fucking clown next to me like <laughs> I'm probably going to hit the clown if it's in my <laughs> if it's in my personal space, I'm probably going to clock it. I don't really I just have no yeah, I have no chill for the clowns. So yeah, that's that's point 1 is I fucking hate clowns and point 2 is like I just don't understand what possible connection there could be between clowning and Jesus. So well, what what did yeah. you find? All right. So Let's let's dig into the history part first because tell me tell me all at, about it. At first glance, you're you're absolutely right. I feel like to just be like, what place do these clowns have in church, and what good would they do? But I guess like the most ancient clowns have been found in the the fifth dynasty of Egypt around 2400 BC. And so these are like court jesters, but so it specifies that they are unlike the court jesters. They're less dubious, and clowns have traditionally served a socio-religious and psychological role. And traditionally, the roles of priest and clown have been held by the same persons. What? Yeah, it's uh, and then it okay. says P- Peter Berger writes. It seems plausible that folly and fools like religion and magic meet some deeply rooted needs in human society. For this reason, clowning is often considered an important part of training as a physical performance discipline, partly because tricky subject matter can be dealt with, but also because it requires a high level of risk and play in the performer. <laughs> Nell says, uh, sounds like some juggalos stumbled into the wrong building. And right? I would say, I would say, Nels, maybe the juggalos are starting their own church. Like, maybe the <laughs> juggalos have tapped into something that we just don't even comprehend that, at all. That's funny, man. Because I was going to, I was going to bring that up as like an example of this. Because that, that is really what we're talking about in some way like this community of people that finds each other and like finds comfort in kind of like being in this makeup not really showing their their true faces and can you know express themselves in this different way because i've heard from people that going to one of those crazy like juggalo festivals 
Um, for anybody that doesn't know, probably like our parents that might be in the room. My my cousin joined for their also Candace in the room. But uh, the Juggalos are a part of like the, the insane clown posse, uh, this ridiculous rap group um, out of the early 2000s, late 90s, I guess. But yeah, all you need know. to know about I, insane clown posse is that they have lyrics like magnets. How does those work? <laughs> crazy like that's literally a that's an insane clown posse song so the point the point of uh the what i'm trying to say is that i've heard nothing but nice things from people that are outsiders from that that just go to like check something like that out and that people are just genuinely incredibly nice the posse Um, isn't as insane as the name would indicate yeah, I guess so. But it seems okay. that like Cookie was maybe exposed to this. My mom's friend who joined us on last week's episode of the podcast. It seems like she was like exposed to this because she was living in Illinois. And this is in Monticello, Illinois, the first prep- Presbyterian church in Monticello, Il- Illinois, uh, Gestures for Jesus. This is on their website for this church. And it says, the history of Christian clowning dates back to the medieval days when royalty hired jesters to entertain them. The movement was revived in the 1960s by Lutheran pastor in in Iowa. Since then, the clown ministry has grown to serve many Christian denominations throughout the world. Christian clowns differ from the typical clown in three important ways, since a Christian clown is not a fool to the world. First, I can't even do that. Wait, 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 I haven't even dug in. I haven't even dug into number one. First, (laughs) Christian clowns are always positive. They strive to uplift a person, never to humiliate, embarrass, or put them down. Secondly, Secondly, and then they murder you with an axe. <laughs> secondly, no, this is this is a very creepy part, okay? And I did oh man. This Oh, now it gets creepy? Buddy, this sent me down <laughs> a pretty wild rabbit hole, okay? Oh, I'm excited. Like, so the second thing is that they do not speak. Their silence follows Christ's teaching to show love rather than speak it. So they're a weird Christ-leaning mime? So they're parading through a church without even saying anything. So you just have a clown on a unicycle cruising through the church, not saying anything. And then also... I saw unicycles. I th- this is what? there's pictures. There's pictures of this, man. Oh this is gosh. this is absolutely in the world happening, okay? And I don't know what the percentage of folks that are doing this. It's it's not easy to like find tons of videos of what's happening, but it does seem to be happening in other parts of the world too. Like I found one out of the UK that is this clown uh church. This church for clowns. It's a whole church of clowns. Yeah. And they do the thing every week. And, but then also I, um, I don't know what I was going to say because I'm just absolutely blasted and still stunned about what I'm reading along with you. All I know is that if I was a kid, if I was a kid growing up and they brought a clown into the church, like I would have been out right then five years old if someone had brought a clown into the church i would have been like nope this is not for me <laughs> these are not my people this is not where i'm supposed to be and i just would have it would that would have been the end of the whole thing yeah dude it's it's pretty bogus but i found a video of 
one of these clown performances happening on the internet earlier today. Okay. And I'll have to try to find it. I'll, I'll try to find it later, but, um, but tell me like, what, like, let's all jokes aside, all jokes aside. Did you find anything about like, what are these clowns actually doing to try to connect people to God or the divine or whatever. I mean, like well, what purpose do they, po- is there, is there some kind of art behind it that like I'm completely missing right now? Because well, like, let me, I just let don't, me. I don't, it doesn't follow. Like, I don't see how a clown <laughs> is going to make me like, uh, accept I Jesus as my Lord you. and savior. I feel you. Um, yeah. Let me dig into this a little bit more. Cause there's, there's way more information on this gestures for Jesus, uh, section of the first Presbyterian church. And right, I think we'll it'll like maybe fill in some of those gaps. But what I was going to tell you in regards to the the second thing, which is the silence thing, I watched this video of these two clowns doing a 30-minute performance in front of a congregation in which they're doing theater art on the stage, full clown makeup, saying nothing, all physical expression. It's like Illuminati wild shit. And all these people are just in this church just watching. Just watching these clowns? What was the performance about? Did it have some kind of message? Were they just like I don't know, man. They were like holding baby comedy? Jesus. They were like holding baby Jesus, I'm assuming. And and there's That just- seems not okay. Like I feel like if you were a staunchly religious person, you would be like a clown should never hold baby Jesus <laughs> for any reason. All right. It's so- offensive. I'm like I'm not even Christian. I'm deeply offended by that. Uh, let's <laughs> truly just, I know it's partially my hatred for clowns, but anyways, <laughs> uh, let's for, let's forge ahead here. So the third thing about this is that they do not wear gloves since human contact is so vital. I can't disagree with that. Okay. Yeah. That really has um, nothing to do with clowns. Still it's just very sort weird. of like a yeah. good, a good rule for life to remember. Still very the weird. Human, the human touch is important. Yeah, human touch is important, but also, like, if you reached out for my hand and you had a glove on, I wouldn't be like, no, fuck off, man. I, I need <laughs> I need you to take that glove off, you know? Like, you're still going to provide me with some comfort there, so I think that that's also off basis. But it's just, like, a weird thing to throw in. Like, a third thing should be more important than that. That should be, like, a subtext, like I a subnote feel like they, in the, with the, the criteria. With the entire thing in your research like there should have been something super clear cut right out of the gate that's like okay here's why there's clowns in church like this is why we're doing this and the fact that there doesn't seem to be i'm having a slight issue on on my recording i just need you to hold on one second we can keep this going we can keep chatting um i just need yeah we just need to take a quick pause why don't you tell everybody about uh glenda the lovely woman who emailed us when we uh you know that when we found it through our emails last time, we found another what, email. This is this is my job. I don't have the email <laughs> in front of well, me. Well, tell them about something else. Tell them something about the mugs that they can get in the uh, okay. the Instagram. Yeah, you can get mugs. Uh, we finally, I guess the short is is that you know after a year of doing this podcast and asking people to email us, we finally got some emails after we did the Frank Schaefer episode, and they were very nice uh, and very supportive. And yeah, Glenda was basically just like you know. I feel, she was like, I feel very hopeful that there are young people out there that are sort of like, you know, questioning things and thinking about things and like wanting to like discourse on um, 
religion not from like such a sort of fundamentalist point of view and whatever she really enjoyed the conversation and and we appreciate you glenda um thanks for shooting us the note i think we're gonna send her a mug and um yeah with what we have here um but to dig deeper the clown color symbolized the following white makeup represents the birth of a new self becoming a new creation Red is the blood of Christ. The upturned mouth symbolizes Christ's hands upon the cross. Blue is loyalty to all Christ's commands. Purple, Christ's loyalty. Green, everlasting life. And yellow, the light of the world. So, yeah, I guess they're using the makeup to symbolize all of these different (laughs) aspects of Christ. Someone just made that up. I mean, that's not real. That's not... They're really reaching. I what I want to know, there. I need the story of somebody who decided to clown for Jesus. Like I need okay, their well, full that's story. Really, I need to understand what the fuck is going on here. I'm just baffled. We're gonna I'm find, still baffled by this whole thing. Hey, we're gonna find somebody. And uh, here's here's one. This is like some SoundCloud rapper shit. Most Christian clowns wear a cross. Or three tears to represent the Trinity. <laughs> our trope now wears a heart, or our troop now wears a heart in honor and memory of our fallen comrades, Lovey and Higgins. We are a service group and perform for church functions and services, town parades, and special events and charity activities. We are here to share God's love in a unique way. Our clown troop was formed in 1989 and has entertained people throughout central Illinois. We are known as Jesters for Jesus. Jesters for Jesus. Oh my god. Bad goodness. motherfuckers. Dude, I just Cookie. Wow. Cookie, Cookie thank in you the for... room. She's in the room too. Thank you for um, opening our yeah, eyes you to have, this you unbelievable me... phenomenon. You led me down a rabbit hole, and then I also found like an article from 1988 on this, and and the thing that the clowns kind of derive some of their their scripture off of Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Oh, we got uh, verses verse, behind verse this 11. now. I love hey, it. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me. <laughs> so uh, this is where the clown ministry derives from man this is uh there's just these Being people that think that, that clowns are like very uplifting you know like the idea of like bringing clowns to a kid's birthday party um for the ones that doesn't freak them out it's this thing that makes them very happy for some reason all those colors they're kind of seeing like this weird being that maybe uh they're easy it's easier to um grapple with it because your mind is less informed, maybe? I don't know. I'm yeah. just, like, making shit up because I'm, I'm blasted. I um, mean, the whole history... <laughs> I'm Now I'm just sort of, like... My stone thought is, like... Just... Clowning is clearly this, like, ancient thing. At what point did right. it become so terrifying? At what point did, uh, you know, modern culture all agree that, like, clowns are fucking freaky? And... <laughs> And I just like, and then at that point, who decided to continue on with it outside of using it in like a horror movie? You know, once yeah. once it gets released, and like once we have killer clowns, who's like still trying to be a clown? I just don't, <laughs> I I don't understand. Um, That's awesome. Very, wow. Yeah. Well, this is not the first time that 
we are going to talk about this. Certainly not the first, the last time that, not the last time we're going to talk about this. Not the last time I'm going to be thinking about this. I'm probably going to be thinking about this a whole bunch throughout the week. I'm going to be trying to work and then I'm just going to remember gestures for Jesus and like go down some kind of like mental spiral. <laughs> it's that just remember, just remember that that's a thing. Just remember silence. That there will be silence. Yeah, at least they don't talk. With these clowns. That's good. Um, I so, think we can all agree that's good. Very wild shit, though, man. Indeed. I, I, it was hard to believe. There's actually, yeah, I don't know. The, It's interesting that there seems to be this history, though, of like clowns representing this priest-like figure in some, you know, cultures and deep into history. Yeah. Um, but I guess like in the sense that a pastor or a priest does have to be a good entertainer, you know, for sure. And typically they, they're, you know, they try to crack little jokes here and there, you know, yeah. try to be funny when they circus, can. Circus zombie says that they, uh, love, they love their long shoes, the clown's long shoes. Okay. Yeah. Sure, that's fun. I like the I, I like the concept of a clown car. I'm not sure how deep we could go on that in terms of what that represents spiritually, but uh, you know I think that that's pretty funny. Tiny little car filled with a bunch of clowns in their big ass shoes. <laughs> it's just good. It's a, just a good time. Um, Welcome, Julie. For anybody listening to the regular episode, we're doing this as a live stream as well, so that's why you're hearing some. Uh, some side chatter hopefully we'll you know we've got some we got a few people in the room which is cool first ever bible buds live stream we're snowed in and it was just like fuck it let's said, why not let's let's shake it up this week the the plan is that andrew is going to bless us with the the story of job here yeah let me go this, uh, let me go edition. get my notes and we can we can get into it cool i'll, I'll chat with the folks here um Oh, circus zombie is cookie. How's everybody doing? What? How can we uh, pray for you or lift you up on this fine evening? <laughs> uh, we got mugs, but anybody uh, in this room already knows that we have mugs. So I don't know why I'm telling telling those particular folks, but uh, you can find those on the uh, Bible Buds Instagram and. Uh, just just search there on that that there link and definitely listen to that Frank Schaefer episode if you haven't uh, if you haven't dug into that one uh, it's a it's a good chat real good chat great chat um, all right Daryl well so tell me you don't you're not familiar at all with the story of Job no oh, this is the fun thing about this podcast is that I really don't have a large uh a large scope on all the different stories of the bible i was just uh this is just such i was a- not super interested as a kid um and i didn't stay in deep enough through high school to like i just feel like you've really- done enough services that i can't believe you've never heard a sermon on the story of job because it's such a f- here's it's it's here's what i want to here's what i want to tell you about that and it's <laughs> okay. that I was not paying attention even when I was doing the service. All I was thinking about was like, 
I really hope that I hold the book properly when I walk up there to hold the Bible. <laughs> I really hope I don't fucking knock the candle over when I'm right. lighting it. It's a big candle. I hope that... I hope I don't drop the basket of little Christ wafers. The Christ you know? crackers, yeah. You know? The Jesus. I hope I don't spill this wine on my nice robe. Yeah. I hope that the with the, I hope that the priest doesn't try to diddle me. <laughs> I and hope he you never were thinking that. I they hope never did. That. They never did. I actually was like pretty blind to it and that was like an interesting thing to think about later of like, whoa, I got out unscathed. Yeah, you did it. Unfortunate. But anyway, um not unfortunate that I never mind. Yeah. Uh we're very happy you know that you had a Catholic upbringing and that you never Look, got diddled by a priest. That's very positive. The, uh, the idea. And the it's idea, bad that we would even need to talk about this as a joke because it's a bummer that it happens. For sure. But like realistically, when I was sitting in church, I was usually just daydreaming about a girl or I was daydreaming about how I was going to edit my lines on my hockey video game when I got home yep. so that I could fucking win another Stanley Cup. That's right. You know, because that was what was important at that time pretty much to me. And I was just kind of, yeah, not really super. It was very rare that anything like okay. I spoke to me in I that understand. area. It, I understand. It wasn't like a disconnect, though. Like this, the connection to like feeling some sort of spirituality, I think, has always existed. I just don't think it ever existed. Well, yeah, much you in those walls grew up going to a Catholic church and those services and the liturgy behind it. Like it's a little more boring, and it's a it's not geared, especially for a kid. It's not geared for kids, you know. So like, I think I would enjoy it more now. The, this story, though, this story of Job, I feel like has been taught to me at many different stages in my life uh, and growing up as a Christian. And it's interesting that it's even a story that you would teach to kids because when you actually read it, I mean, it's it's very dark um, and it's very old. And it just the 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 kid version is essentially like, you know, there's this guy, Job, and he had everything that you could want in life and then uh you know and then the devil uh basically made a bet with god that was like i bet you joe wouldn't love you so much if he didn't have such a good life like if we took all of his stuff away if we took away his, yeah. his health and his well-being i bet you he wouldn't worship you so good then because god was very much like look at joe he's like the perfect you know worshiper of me he's great he's fantastic he does no evil he's just a good person and the devil was basically just like yeah he wouldn't be so good if his life was shittier and so god accepts the wager and then allows satan to like torture job he takes away all of his shit and the story that we're told as a kid is like you know even though like yes job worshiped the lord when his life was good and then God allowed his life to become bad and he still worshiped God. Even then, like that was sort of the, the children's version of the story, which is just not really the story at all. <laughs> if you read it in the Bible, there are so many moments where Job is just being like, fuck this and fuck God. Like, I never did anything to deserve this. There is no justice in the world. Like, there are so many moments where Job, it's not like Job is just the whole time. It's like, you know what? I'm still really humbled by this. I, sh I should be grateful that I'm still breathing. 
Um, you know, and for that, I still worship the Lord. Like, no, that's not what happens. You know, spoiler alert. So let's talk about the story um, from the top. And yeah, we can get into it. I feel like as an adult, it's taken some different turns as well. But it's typically, I feel like the way the story is pitched from a spiritual perspective is this idea that like Job had everything taken from him and still worshiped God, um, you know, to his last dying breath. Um, so again, Job is this guy who had, he's very wealthy. He's got like a great family. He's got tons of children. Um, and he's very like pious. He's very much for the Lord. He does worship the Lord. He gives thanks to the Lord. He prays like for the forgiveness of his children's sins and sacrifices things for them. Like he's very much like, um, He's all about it. He's all about God. Um, and basically early on in the story, it just says that like, it's sort of weird the way it's been translated, but the original translation is basically that like God is with, you know, this council that's called the sons of God, which has been translated into like a group of angels. And that one of those angels, which in the Bible, it's translated to Satan, but in original Hebrew, it's actually just like accuser or um, challenger. So it's like this accuser angel, this challenger angel that comes to God and says like, yeah, I don't think that Job would be, you know, kissing your feet if he is li like the only reason that he's so all about you is because you've given him everything that you could want in a good <laughs> life. He's got a good right. life. So like, what would he possibly have to be, what? Yeah, you know, be upset about? Um, so God is like, okay, like I will allow you Satan or, you know, accuser angel or whatever. Like I will allow you to, um, sort of meddle in Job's affairs, but he's like, just don't like, don't hurt him like physically, but you can do whatever else you want. So basically Job is just chilling one day and he gets a series of like messages, uh, from like. I don't know, three or four different people kind of come up in secession and say like, hey, like all of your oxen burned to the ground. <laughs> like that's the entire like herd is gone. I'm like, all of your sheep have died. They've like all got sick and died. Um, you know, all of your like farmland is like com has been completely destroyed. So basically like all of his material wealth is gone. Uh, and then the last one is like, and all of your kids just died in like the house that they were in celebrating, you know, a marriage, like it collapsed and it killed everybody. So he basically loses everything material. And then like he loses his entire family as well. Um, <laughs> and from that point, he's just like, he is so stricken with grief and, um, but he's still like, he's still like, I, you know, I don't know the ways of the Lord. I can't fully comprehend what's going on. Like, I still have to trust that this is what is right, that it's for the best, that it's the will of God, whatever. Like, he, he's still right. very unwavering. So then God says, like, well, Satan, look, like, Job is still, he's still my guy. He's still, he's still the homie. And Satan's like, yeah, I bet he wouldn't be if we just made him a little bit more miserable. And so then God is like, okay, I will allow you to hurt him physically as long as you don't kill him. 
So <laughs> Satan just plagues him with like a shit ton of sores and boils, like all underneath his feet and just like covering his face and stuff. So he's just now in horrible physical pain. And on top of that, his like entire life has been turned upside down. He lost everything else. Now, at this point, Job is very much not on team the Lord anymore. He's he's pretty much given up. His first reaction is to basically just curse the day that he was born. He's just like, I just wish that I... At this point, I wish I had never existed. I would trade <laughs> all of the good things that have happened to me. I would trade all of it, just existing at all. I would give it all up if so that I would never have to experience this feeling of like this pain and anguish physically and spiritually. Um, and he has these like three friends that come and try to console him. And like for the first seven days, there's just silence because they don't know what to say. And Job doesn't have anything to say. And then finally, after seven days, Job opens his mouth and he, yeah, he just starts cursing his existence. He starts cursing the day that he was born. Um, and thus begins this sort of like back and forth, really kind of like very philosophical, very metaphysical debate between Job and his three friends about what's happening to him and why it's happening uh, and what's the meaning of all of it. Um, and so it just kind of goes back and forth. Um, basically, the first argument that the friends are making is that, you know, God is just. And so therefore, if all of this shit is happening to Job, it's because he deserves it. It could It could be no other way. And Job is still just being like, I don't even care who deserves what. Like at this point, he's still very much just like in the throes of I am so deeply sad and broken. <laughs> um, and they keep being like, yo, how much longer are you going to like complain about your situation before we can start actually talking about it and dealing with it? And his response in chapter seven, verse 11, he just goes, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul, <laughs> which I very much resonated with because I love to complain when things are not going my way. Like Dan, you know, you're one of my closest friends. If I have something going wrong in my life, who's going to hear about it? You are everyone. Yeah. Everyone, especially. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, exactly. Like I love to complain. So I've, I felt, uh, I felt connected to Job in that moment when he's just like, listen, I, I've lost everything. I will complain as much as I fucking please. Um, I'm going to let him know you, we get a lot of, I feel like you get a lot of that out of the, uh, these people that kind of identify with the, the Christian backlash, Yeah, you know, like people are going to hear about it forever. Like you're always going to tell that story about you getting kicked out of the, the church band because you got caught with weed. Right. Right. <laughs> and you're going to be like, fuck these people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For yeah this. For sure. <laughs> and I'm going to let people know that that was not a good moment as you should, but you it should was, a, it was a good moment in a lot of ways. It was a bad teaching moment on it was their a bad side. teaching moment on their side, but you know, everyone's human. We're all just trying our best. Their best just wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> so yeah, basically, so, yeah. How did things so shake the friends, out? The friends again, like I'm going to get into without getting too deep in the weeds. I'm going to talk a little bit about this sort of like philosophical debate that Job's Job has with his friends. So 
Job is like super, like his soul is in anguish. His friends are like, this wouldn't be happening to you if you didn't deserve it. Um, Job is basically like, I think that that's bullshit. I've lived (laughs) a very pious, like sin-free life and I am being punished for fucking nothing right now. And he was like, I mean, he basically is just like, go through my life with like a, with a comb, like comb through it and tell me where I fucked up. Cause as far as I'm concerned, I did nothing but like try to do right by everybody around me and be a kind, good person. And I've always like, you know, made offerings and sacrifices to God and like taken all of that shit very seriously. And now this happens like, and I think it's like, it brings up this really important sort of for an old story, this really important, like sort of philosophical notion of like, why does bad shit happen to good people? You know? Mm. And Job is really sitting in that where he's just like, why is this happening to me? Like I, there's no way I could possibly deserve this. This could not be a a proper punishment for anything that I could have possibly done. So yeah, it's the funny, funny thing about life sometimes, you know? Sometimes you just gotta, sometimes you just have to like go through some shit, even when you don't feel like you're maybe deserving of it, you know, it just happens. There's no explaining it necessarily, but usually there's some, you know, there's some bullshit lesson on the other side of it, hopefully. Right. So... Job basically I'm assuming I'm assuming you're not just wasting my time here to not tell me some story that has some some lesson in it. Yeah, it's it it potentially has some lessons, I think. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So Job sort of calls BS on that. He's like, I don't think that I deserve this. I don't think that there's anything that I've done that could possibly be worthy of this punishment. And then he's also sort of like, but how can I dispute like, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to argue with God like God's all powerful. And apparently has decided that this is like the right thing for my life. And he is like, I don't agree with it. I think it's garbage. And he's basically at this point where he's like, I spent my entire life trying to please God. And now this happens. So why try anymore? Like, why Mm. not just do whatever? If this is what I get for spending an entire lifetime, because Job's like old at this point, you know, he has his kids were like adults and shit so like he's an older man who's lived a full life and like then just gets everything swept away from him and he's basically just like yeah he hits a total like existential rock bottom where he's just like why bother with any of this i'm so over it um and then he's sort of like in chapter 10 he sort of kind of starts to mock god a little bit like he starts to give god some serious lip where he says stuff like i loathe my very life therefore i will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul i will say to god do not condemn me but tell me what charges you have against me does it please you to oppress me to spurn the works of your hand uh to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked (laughs) he's basically just saying like you're letting so much bad shit happen uh to good people And you're also letting a lot of good stuff happen to super wicked people. Like he's probably looking at like, you know, the Donald Trump of his time or whatever and being like, where the fuck is that guy's like consequences for all of his bullshit? And this is what I get after living like 
a, you know, what I would consider to be like the most pious life I could live. I get all of this bullshit and that guy gets fucking nothing. Like that dude talks shit about, you know, everybody. And that dude like <laughs> kills his goats for fun. And that dude yeah. does whatever the fuck, you know? So he's just sort of calling God out. And these are all really interesting sort of like, what's interesting about the story of Job is like, these are the kinds of questions, religious questions that people will press you on if you are religious and like, let's, you know, let's say you're at a party or something, a cocktail party and you are religious and you come across the sort of like atheist kind of asshole guy who's going to want to sort of press you. Like a very likely thing that will happen is they will bring up the story of Job uh, and be like, you know, how could God do this to somebody who was so devoted to him? Or in a roundabout way, they'll just sort of touch on it philosophically where they say like this, this philosophical question of like, if God exists, why would he allow horrible things to happen in the world? Right. You get a lot of those arguments from people that are on the no God camp. But it's interesting. You get a lot of like, hey, how does like a loving God let a Trump exist or a Putin exist or a Hitler exist you know there's always there's always that argument which uh i don't know you just gotta have can't have one without the other kind of thing for sure the good and evil yeah and but it's interesting that like that argument is very old it goes all the way back you know at least to the book of job which would have been you know it's probably about three thousand years old but it probably goes back way before that too so this is like this sort of like weird kind of like philosophical uh, conundrum is something that people have been struggling with and grappling with for thousands of years. Uh, And it's a tricky problem. And as what we sort of start to get into is that, is that basically the friends. So like we're at this point where, where Job is basically just like, you know what? Like none of this makes any sense. And quite frankly, fuck God for making, for allowing this to happen to me and not, not justly, um, punishing other people who actually deserve it. And his friends in response to that are basically just like, Job, are you really going to posit that you know what's best for this world? Like you're basically taking this very narrow micro view through the lens of just your life, like God runs everything. God runs the universe. How could you know for sure that even though things seem horrible right now, how could you know for sure that this isn't all part of some kind of like bigger plan, that it's not all for like the greater good of life, the greater good of you and your soul and your journey. Like you can't know that God would know that, but you can't know that. And so you suggesting that you do know that, makes you kind of a sinner. So maybe you did deserve it all along. Like they just sort of keep <laughs> circling it back on him and refolding it out, like refolding his words back on him and basically just being like, the fact that you were even <laughs> suggesting all of these things, the fact that you would even question God and his motives, like is enough to justify all that's already happened to you. That makes you a bad person. Um, and Job just will not, accept that like he he's like it just it, it won't sit with his soul and he basically just hits a point where he's like 
I'm over this. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like to you guys, I, I want to talk to God. Like I have questions for God <laughs> at this point. And he wants some direct answers straight from the source. Yeah. And, and his friends are like, okay, now, now that you're saying this crazy shit of like, oh, I want to talk to God about it. Like basically their argument, these three friends, it's like the sin is in your speech. Like you're sinning in the way and with every word that you speak, like your entire outlook on the situation is full of sort of like, you know, I guess. Yeah. It, 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 um, sort of reeks of like someone who has a heart that's not after God because you, you have no trust in the situation whatsoever. And now you're demanding that God like show himself and explain himself to you, which, you know, Mm. they're saying is a very unreasonable request. And Job is saying, no, it's not. My entire life has been fucked up. And meanwhile, if we remember the setup of this story, in my opinion, I'm like, yeah, Job, you're right. You are owed some answers because basically God decided to let the devil fuck with you on a bet. On a bet that the <laughs> devil was like, I bet I bet I can make him break. And God was like, bet you can't. And then just let him do whatever. So like Job is absolutely owed answers and he's completely in the right in the situation where he feels like he's being needlessly fucked with and he kind of is. So yeah, from there. uh, All right. This is a verse that I pulled out. Chapter 16, verse three. John Porus just joined us. Um, Job is like John Portis. Job has had enough of this conversation of his friends trying to convince him that he deserves all this shit that's been happening to him. And he just says to them, he goes, Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? He's just basically like, Will you sh- please shut the fuck up. Like, I don't want to hear <laughs> from you anymore. At this point, the only person I want to hear from is God. And if I can't talk directly to God, then I just I hope that that he just kills me. Like he cursed the day that he's born. And now he's literally just like, I don't want to live anymore. I, you know, he holds life to be sacred. So he's not going to take his own life, but he is actively praying that something else will take his life. He doesn't want to do it anymore. He's reached like the lowest of lows. Um, So then they sort of get into this more like philosophical debate around, kind of justice and Job again sort of circles back to this idea of like you know where is the justice in this he says you know why do the wicked live on growing old and increasing in power and I feel like we can all sort of vibe with that a little bit of like especially in this story where Job is being asked to maintain his uh, religious fervor for a God that would allow this to happen to him. And yet he looks out at the Mm -hmm. world and he's like, there are all of these, you know, yeah, especially people in power. Like they just seem to be accumulating more and more and more of it. It doesn't seem to be going Mm -hmm. away. And yet this is happening to me. I'm trying to do the right thing. Those people are actively not trying to do the right thing and they're still benefiting from it. So maybe that's just like the way of the world. Maybe it really is sort of a, you know, I think Job's position at this point is basically like there is no God. And if there is God, 
he's not a just God. This idea of justice is something that we've created. And in reality, it's just a total, like, you know, survival of the fittest, like, harsh, brutal reality is what we live in. That's where Job's at, where he's just like, the world is just like, there's no order. It's just, yeah, might is right. And like power will, will get you everything and power corrupts. And like those people go on to like gather and, and run the world. And like, um, and there, those are the people that end up getting bailed out when they get in trouble too. Yeah. Which is like one of these things where it's just, you know, the, we, we always seem to help the people that don't need it and we don't help the people that do. It's like, even with this, you know, this GameStop wall street business, you know, like, you know, all these, all these rich hedge funds get fucked over, you know, they, they, uh, they get outsmarted a little bit and now they're, you know, maybe going to save them. They're going to bail them out and take away, like reverse this situation. Like, Right. That's uh it's just you know, that that's understandable. There's so many people that are in that position of Job of just like, yeah, what the fuck is the world right now, especially in the United States for sure at this time. It's just I don't know. It's uh it's rough. easy to have it's hard that. to believe it's, in justice, you know. Well, yeah, and that comes back to uh you know, what you were talking about earlier is you know that easy it's easy to poke that hole of like oh what kind of god would let us live in this world what kind of loving god and at that point it's really you know you have to like choose to want to put your faith into something right you have to choose to want to believe in something whether it's real or not yeah and i think like whether it's visible you know and you can touch it or not like it's uh it's a choice that you have to, it's a choice to believe in anything. So you gotta like want, you gotta want to have that. And and I get it. If you don't want or feel a need for it, I still think maybe you're fucking tapping into it somehow. And you don't really know that it, you know, it's happening within you. You just don't identify it the same way you find it somewhere. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from this story is sort of this idea that like, um, first off the world and existence and whatever is like, it's equal parts, way more messy and complicated than we could possibly comprehend and much simpler than we initially thought at the same time. There's like mm. this weird paradox mm. of like, it's so much more complicated. Um, and like the, you know the laws of the universe or whatever are so beyond our ability to understand. And yet at the same time, like you're saying, it really is just as simple as like, do you believe, do you choose to believe in like goodness and love and kindness and like these principles that we've collectively decided are positive, are net positives in the world? Do you choose to believe that or don't you? Yeah. I think it's interesting though. Cause I've, um, it's like, yeah, it would be cool to maybe simplify some things and keep things simple. But the world is like so noisy around us, especially modern age, you know, with the internet, 
all the social media. Because, like, think about those, you know, those deep psychedelic adventures that you've had. We've had one together where, man, we fucking walked for, you know, a couple hours doing this hike. And, and our whole life was simplified by these metaphors, like, while we were walking, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, you're just seeing everything so easily, I feel like, in that sort of that sort of realm because you're not like there's not so much noise around you you're just like focused on the simple things in front of you for sure i mean and and like maybe like the more important things rather than the noise of shit right i feel like what you you know you're seeing things from a way more pulled back perspective oftentimes the metaphor that i use is like it's like flying to the moon and looking at your life from from the perspective of the moon as opposed to being on earth and just looking down at the earth and being like oh word like that's what i'm doing like i'm just existing your, on that your ball. google maps fucking vision yeah exactly and i think one of the metaphors that we had from that experience um that fits so well with this story was the idea of just like it doesn't matter what path you're on it's the right path there's no wrong path every path that you're on is taking you somewhere and wherever it's taking you is wherever you're supposed to go like yeah and we get so like just how Job is like so caught up in this, like, you know, the plight of his existence at this point, because he's had everything taken away from him. Um, yeah. But he's lost sight of just like the general path. He's lost sight of sort of the greater <laughs> meaning of his life. And he's very singularly focused on all of these tragedies. Um, and I feel like that's part of this parable. You know, this is not a historical um story by any means uh and i think no religious scholar in good faith would try to make the argument that it is real <laughs> it's not it's a sto- it's right. a parable it's an allegory and so like there's a lot to unpack here in terms of like this really ancient sort of spiritual teaching and like what they're trying to bring to the table and what they're bringing to the table is a lot of like really deep philosophical um you know, tricky fucking questions that we're still wrestling with Mm. today and where the conversation like sort of takes a turn. And I think this part really hit home with me because I was like, damn, like this is sort of my inner, like this part of this is my inner voice. So Job keeps insisting that he's like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I know I'm not perfect, but like, I don't deserve this. And I've lived a very good life and I've been a very good person. And this is fucked up that this is happening to me. And yeah. And then they're like, how could you question the ways of God? Blah, 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 blah. And then saying like, God is the friends are really leaning in on this notion that like God is just, so Mm. you must have done something. (laughs) You must have done something like There must be something that you're doing that you think is okay, that's not okay, or whatever it is. And basically, one of the friends sort of lays into Job and is like, I'm sorry, you think you've lived a sinless life? Like, you've had nothing but privilege? And how much of that privilege did you use to help people? Like, Mm. you've turned away hungry people when you had food to give them. Like you didn't, basically they're saying like, yeah, you didn't actively hurt people. You didn't actively sin, but you passively sinned through inaction. Your choice not to act and do the right thing when you could have, even though from your view, it's like, well, it's not my responsibility 
They're saying like, no, it is your responsibility. You had all of this privilege and you didn't use it to make the world a better place. You just worshiped God and thanked him for everything that you were given and then didn't do anything with it. And that's like a, like you, that's a huge takeaway for me from this story. It's like, you didn't do bad, but you didn't do anything good either. Yeah. Like not really. And that's why things need to be shaken up for you so that you can see that somehow. Yep. Yep. And and that's part of the friend's sort of like message too as they're dialoguing with Job is saying that like, look, sometimes like, you know, God works in mysterious ways and sometimes like you have to be forged in the fire. It's the only yeah. way that you can learn. And Richard Rohr talks a lot about that, um, especially in uh, Falling Upward, where he's talking about sort of like your two halves of life and how your second half of life is sort of like, <clears throat> you know, informed by something that's very deeply spiritual and like not at all what your first half of life was informed by. And he, yeah. But he talks about how most people won't reach that second half of life or like that space of like sort of deep spiritual understanding and peace. Um, they can't reach it unless it's through some kind of like immense tragedy. Uh, yeah, man. That that's sort of For the sure. thing that like is going to crystallize your spiritual experience for you. It's going to be the hardship in life. Like you're not going to become spiritually more awake or enlightened by, uh, winning the lottery, you know, and the same thing, like with the story of Buddha, you know, the story of the Buddha is very much like Buddha did not wake up to the nature of the world and the nature of his own consciousness until he, in, until he encountered the suffering of the world. Cause before that he was shielded from the suffering of the world, living in this palace that his like father didn't want him to leave because his father didn't want him to know about the suffering of the world. So then the Buddha leaves Mm. and he sees a beggar for the first time. He sees a dead person for the first time. He starts encountering these concepts that he didn't even know existed and it completely fucks him up to his core and sets him on the path to enlightenment. And it's just like, it's sort of the same thing. This, this is a very like, it's part of what to me makes this story feel deeply true is because it is, it's, it feels timeless and ageless. Like it's a, it's like, yeah, the world might destroy you one day. The world might be Mm -hmm. like crumble underneath you. Everything you love, everything you know might be taken from you. Then what? Who are you after that? For sure. It's, uh, that's kind of what I was talking about last week too. Um, about like kind of the padding of the suburbs in some ways. Yeah. Or like when, when people try to raise their kids in some sort of like world shielded from the dangers and the evils of the world. And, uh, yeah, I think similar to like somebody losing their religious foundation and kind of having reshaped for themselves. It's kind of the same thing when you do kind of get yourself into the real world situation. And that, that can be like, yeah, very shattering. Mm -hmm. Um, but some people, you know, really do just kind of grow up without 
like things are pretty good outside of having some stupid like arguments with interper like interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. and that's like not their fault it's not really job's fault necessarily that um nothing bad has happened to him to like put things into perspective for him you know sure it's uh it it doesn't it doesn't matter so um yeah it's just interesting that you gotta have sometimes you gotta have that that fucked up tragedy to like put things into place for you or uh yeah just have things completely reshaped for you so that you actually like pay attention to that stuff and yeah i don't know realize that uh you can hopefully do good with with your fortunes if you are fortunate to be in that that sort of position yeah but it's just the same thing uh another one of the things that i took away from that uh that trip in the desert that day another one of the metaphors or just like the things was uh coming down the mountain stepping on some of the drier desert shrub and just being like hey man how come like every time you're on a hike you're just like really not intentional but intentional about like where you step when it's some shitty like dry dead area or like something that's not as like nicest flowers or something you know you don't like take care of these things and then when you do see like the beautiful you know nature or the flowers you're like very careful about like not touching them or like stepping on them it's just like again it's just like don't step on the little people you know like take care of the people that need the help take care of the dirty people on the streets like we don't need to like be delicate about the people that are pretty and have the fucking, you know, the cash in hand to just go about life in a, sure. in a padded way like that, you know, not to, not to say that those, you know, rich people have human issues yeah, as everybody, well. Everybody, you know, nobody gets out of this thing unscathed, but I the think the storm is a coming, the storm is a yeah, coming for everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the other thing, even from like a bigger perspective that I got from that same trip was, um, Gosh, I mean, like, the desert is just such a dry, dead, desolate place. Um, but, and I, sp- I feel like especially juxtaposed with, like, where we live here in Portland, where it's just, like, teeming with life. So everything is green yeah. and, like, especially during summer, like, it's just lush and beautiful and there's just, it's just life, you know? It's just, there's right, animals right, right. and stuff, whatever. And the desert is just, like, things are barely holding on. It's such the opposite. Um, But I guess sort of what I picked up is similar to what you're talking about of like, don't uh, like, don't forget to have reverence for, for the shitty things as well. And Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, from like a bigger perspective, it's like understanding that like, we shouldn't be here on this earth only wanting good things to happen to us. And that's not to say that we shouldn't want good things to happen to us. Obviously, we all want that. But, like, we you have to remember that, like, part of the joy of existing is going through the desert. It's going through the mm. hard things. Um, and it's, like, without that, yeah, you're not going to have these moments for, like, immense spiritual growth. 
you're not going to have moments to deeply appreciate the things that you have that are good because they're not going to have that context of the desert. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like you have to go through your 40 years in the desert at some point. Um, And even if that's just like little things that happen to you on a daily basis or like an immense tragedy that happens to you in your life, it can, we can use those things as ways to sort of color the rest of our experience and in our spirituality. And um, that's sort of where this story goes next is this younger guy. Basically, Job is just like, I won't concede to you fucks. These like three older friends that he has. He's like, I won't concede to you. I have tried to, to, I've tried to avoid sin at all costs. This shit still happened to me. The Bible makes it really clear that it's like, you know, he never curses the name of God, but he's in a dark spot. He's really struggling. And then this younger person comes over and is basically just like, look, I didn't want to speak out of turn because I felt like the older people should be, you know, weighing in on this very heavy situation. But he really hammers home that he's just like, Job, I think you've got it all wrong. Like, I really want to reiterate that, like, you are being made new right now. Like, you're being forged in the fire. You are being transformed into something else. And just like sort of what I was talking about, where it's like, it's the darkness that's going to bring all the context to the light and make the light, you know, make you understand how the light shines in the first place, like, and give it true meaning. You know, he's like, I really think you need to look at this as an opportunity to grow and to deepen your understanding of life and what it means to be human. And like, this is not just happening to you uh, so that you can suffer. Like, there's a there's a bigger story arc here that you're neglecting to see. And even if it's difficult to see it in the moment, you should respect that you're on that arc and that like that's the path you're on. So this dude just comes this in and he for, throws down the gauntlet on Job. Yeah. This is the this is for the greater good for everybody. It's the uh the Phoenix rising, man. Yeah. For sure. Um and then honestly the story ends in my opinion like it's sort of anticlimactic. Um Job finally is just like I don't want to talk to anyone unless it's God. <laughs> and so then <laughs> so then in chapter 38, at the end of this story, the Lord, the Lord spoketh Daniel. Um, and the Lord said all kinds of crazy things. Mostly, what did he say? What did he say? mostly he has stuff like this to say. He goes, uh, who is this that darkens my camp, my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning star sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds, like this just goes on for pages. The Lord just being like. Uh, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Like, what is the way to, you know, like, do you, are you the keeper of the light? Can you basically just like kind of, kind of bragging to Job. And this is very Old Testament God stuff. Like, Old Testament God is a dick, in my opinion. And this is like a classic example of, I think, why 
I mean, again, we're sort of taking this out of context. The story is so fucking old, you know, and there's probably a long oral tradition before this even gets written down 3,000 years ago. There's probably an oral tradition of this story dating back maybe another couple thousand years. This is a really, this story is like as old as civilization, essentially. So it's really hard to like pull it out of its cultural context and understand it. Um, And in that sense, like this God um, of the old Testament who were meant to fear and um, yeah. And, and it's kind of like a jealous dick. Um, yeah. It's throws Job in the fucking, in the middle for of this nothing, fucking, because of this game, because an angel in his council just like raises his hand and is like, Hey, I don't <laughs> think Job's that tight. Actually. I think Job's just cool because like you gave him good shit. And God's like, oh, yeah, you want to fucking see? And the angel's like, yeah, I'll fucking, I'll throw a hundred on it. And God's like, I'll throw a thousand on it. And the angel's like, I'll bet I'm all in. And God's like, cool, I'm all in too. You can't match that though, because I'm fucking God. But like, let's see what you got. It's literally like what it is. It's a fucking wager. And all of this, and it really, you know, it completely changes the course of Job's life, not even to, like, mention all of the people who, like, die in the wake of this wager, like Job's fucking children and all of his, like, cattle and shit just get, like, slaughtered because God's trying to prove a point. Um, And then, at the end of that, to not even give Job the respect of, like, listen, I'm going to tell you I'm going to come clean and basically tell you that like, this was a test. We were testing you and you, (laughs) and you passed because you didn't like completely curse me. You still remain true. Even though you went through this dark night of the soul and you like questioned, you know, so many things like you still remain steadfast in like your faith. So you passed and like, you know, maybe Joe would have accepted that. Instead, he just like throws his foot down and is like, fuck you. I made the stars. Like I hold the universe together in the palm of my hand. <laughs> you don't fucking know anything. How dare you fucking question me? Uh, and that's, that's it. And like, that's what God does. And then Job is literally just like, okay, yeah, totally. You're right. Uh, I, my bad. That's my bad. Yeah. That's my bad. God, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, you're definitely right. You can do whatever you want. And God's like, cool. Thank you. I will. I will do whatever I want. And then that sort of the story just ends with the epilogue, which is just like, and then Job was given like all that he had lost was returned to him tenfold. And he lived out a very prosperous life and he ended up, you know, there's this happy ending of like, and he lives to 150 years old and he has like 20 kids and so, like, everything that okay. he lost gets replaced, and then some, he's, yeah, he's rich, prosperous, whatever, which I was sort of like, I don't know, I thought, it, I just thought it was a pretty weak ending, especially after, it's very <laughs> abrupt, it's very abrupt, It's uh... most of this story is, like, this philosophical dialogue between Job and his three pals, which is, I thought was the most interesting part, and then it just abruptly, like, the Lord comes in to speak, and it's like, fuck you, I am God, I do whatever I want, and Job goes, yep, you definitely do whatever you want, and I fully support that, and God's like, cool, that's right, and then it just ends with like, and then Job, like, got everything that he could have possibly wanted, the end, (laughs) and then it just ends. That's, uh, yeah. 
That's a rough way to uh, learn the lesson of, you know, there's something in the deeper waters if you, you choose to swim. Like, that's a rough way to go about things. I do I do like that, uh, you know, it's just like his friends are, uh, are these people he's having this discussion with, though, because, yeah, like those those friends that council of people that you choose to surround yourself with, I think is, uh, can be really important during those times, but to, also uh, hopefully help you, you know, realign or whatever. Totally. But also I feel like in this story, they're sort of advising you, like make sure that that council is solid because Job's council was not like, it wasn't very good. Right. They, right. they made him, you know, reconsider some things and question some things but overall they didn't help him get to like a strong understanding of why this was happening to him or why he needed to accept his circumstances as they are it it just sort of like um and it even says that like job even says that as well as the younger man who sort of comes and gives like the final little statement on uh you know trying to understand the will of god or whatever like they they kind of hammer home the point that it's like these three friends are sort of just like focused on the wrong things. And so like their advice for him was like essentially worthless and like didn't do him any good. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know. It's a. I, so now that we've gone through the story, like you would heard none of that before. Like you knew nothing of this, even the framework of that story. No. Interesting. blind. Interesting, because yeah. it's one of those things growing up, uh, growing up in the church, you know, I feel like a lot of times when anybody was going through something really fucking hard, like gnarly, like ah. my child just died or like I, you know, someone in my family just died or I'm going through a divorce or I'm sick with cancer or significant shifts, very significant stuff. People are always like, well, look at Job. Job Mm. had everything taken from him and he was still faithful to God. And it's like, Job wasn't exactly faithful to God. Like Job went through some serious, serious existential crises. Like, yeah, dude was fucked up for, you know, a while. I think that this dialogue that happens is sort of something that's like, in my mind, I'm like, this is probably taking place over the span of like, anywhere from like six months to multiple years they're sort of you know ruminating on this horrible shit that's happened to job he's lost everything he lost all eight of his children he lost all of his material wealth and yeah it's like job doesn't just take it on the chin and say like glory be to god he questions god to god's core like Mm. and dares to um, dares to question God basically to his face and say like, why don't you like, why don't you come explain this to me? Like you're the only one who could possibly explain why this makes any sense. I demand answers. I'm owed answers. And like, you're not giving me anything. And my friends don't have them. Like this is all senseless. And he's sort of yeah. just in that really dark place that I feel like everybody can get to you when things are not going well in your life. And you're just kind of like, I mean, it, yeah, he goes, he's borderline suicidal at some points where he's just like, I don't even want to be alive anymore. 
because uh, this shit's too fucking heavy and I don't see a point. If the wicked are still going to prosper and this kind of shit's going to happen to me, then like, why even be a faithful servant of God? Right. Why try? If this is, why give the effort? Yeah, if this is what it's said in me. And like, in that sense, I'm like, man, it's so human, this story and that like experience that Job has. It's so human and so real. And it's very interesting that this is you know, can be distilled down to the children's version of like, just be faithful like Job who had it, you know, had everything and then had it all taken away and was still faithful to God. And it's just like, that's not really what happens in this story. It's not really what happens at all. Uh, I mean, to a degree, yes. Like Job doesn't completely turn his back on God, but Job is, fucking devastated and is in a complete like existential crisis from these events um so yeah i just think it's funny like to see how some of these stories um get sort of like the teachings from the stories get sort of distilled down and i wouldn't even say like misused or misinterpreted they just kind of get like you know yeah you just get these sort of like light versions of them that that miss all of the like nuance. And I think what's interesting to me is that I bet that most of the people who would say something like, well, don't forget about Job who, you know, yada, 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 and give you that whole spiel when you're going through something hard and you're a member of the church or whatever. I bet most people like haven't read the story in its entirety, or if they have, like they haven't done it recently Because if you really sit down and read it, it's like 90% of the story is this dialogue between Job and his friends. I mean, the first chapter is the whole setup. The first chapter is like, here's this guy, Job. He has everything. Satan throws a wager on the table with God that if he didn't have everything, he wouldn't be a faithful servant to God. And so then God says, sure, take it all away. That happens in the first chapter. This book has 40 chapters. So the first chapter like is basically the entire story that we're told. And then there's 30 fucking pages of the Bible, 40 chapters of the Bible of of this book that are just like this dialogue between him and his friends where he's just really like getting into it. And yeah, I don't feel like there's so many like interesting little like nuanced philosophical points that get brought up either by Job or by his friends. Uh, about, you know, the nature of the world, uh, the need for justice and order and fairness, um, accepting that the world isn't a fair place and that sometimes bad things just fucking happen. Like, all of that happens in this dialogue. These, It's really, again, I think it's a very real sort of human dialogue. And, like, I think that's where mm-hmm. the real teaching is and that's where, like, the real juice is and, and the church at least that I grew up in sort of distilled it down to just like, um, you know, it's important to be faithful to God no matter what. Right. Cause if Job could do it, then you can do it. Yeah. You're, I don't know. They don't want to encourage any sort of like internal struggle with your identity in God, you know, which is, which is important to like get to this point that Job eventually makes it to though. You know, for sure. It's like it's part of the it's part of the journey. So I I, I totally know. agree and I think that that's where 
like uh i just think that people people sometimes shy away from you know the questioning they shy away from the doubt um and i think this story is so important because like whether or not you are religious or you consider yourself spiritual or you believe in God or whatever, we all go through moments in life that are like very disorienting and very disheartening and, and sort of feel like a version of what Job is going through where you're just sort of like, what's the fucking point? What's the point to all of this? Like, you know, it's a really deep, the the only I know I keep using this term, but the only way that I can really describe it is just like it's a it's the full existential crisis where you're just like, what why why do we exist at all if this is the bullshit mm. that we have to put like what's the point of all of this, right. um, and yeah I think that again, it's it's so important to embrace that to embrace the the questioning. And to also like, because it's through in embracing the doubt and the questioning that you, st- I feel like you start to understand that um, there's value in hard shit happening to you. There's value in suffering, essentially, in that yeah. it's it can teach you something, uh, and then it can also like build out a uh, some kind of framework or context to like give meaning to anything that's actually good you know for sure you're just usually too far in it though like right you're you can't too far see in the throes exactly. of it to like see any of the light surrounding the situation or like getting to the other side of it you know yeah it's the equivalent it's like, of like if you're if your fucking wife just died and then you know you're you run into the pastor at the fucking hospital and he goes well you know it's it's all God's will. Everything happens for yeah. a reason. And you're just like, everything happens for a reason. I just lost my fucking wife. Like, I don't want to hear that right now. And yeah, nobody, you don't want to fucking lean. You don't want to lean into the mystery at that point. No, That's not you're, you're just like. grieving. And I think that like, yeah, the whole, the whole concept of everything happens for a reason, I think is very well intentioned. And I think on some level, like it's something that I'd still, sort of believe to be true like i still kind of believe that that like everything unfolds the way that it's meant to unfold the reality is what it is and that there is no there is no wrong whatever's happening is what's supposed to be happening period yeah and there's it's just what we do with it it's what we learn from it so I think that that's all good and true but it's just like i don't know if it's something that needs to be repositioned or reworded because I think that this saying it to somebody who's just gone through a tragedy of like, oh, everything happens for a reason just feels so gross. But I do think that like the core message behind that is kind of real, you know, and it right. and it's something that like ultimately that's where you need to land. And that's sort of where Job does end up getting after he sort of gets this final speech from um, this guy like Elijah, who basically is just like, you know, how could you possibly think that you could understand the complexity of how God operates in this world and how things unfold? And you think of even like, 
you know, if you think of something like the butterfly effect or whatever, of just like how really small things, really small shifts in our reality can have these really far reaching effects on other parts of reality. And it's just like, we don't really know. Insane. We don't really know how this world operates. We don't really know what the fuck is going on. We're always sort of just stuck in our like singular kind of like narrow focus. Um, yeah. And it can be really empowering and important to remember that like, it's all so much bigger than you and your shit. It's way bigger than that. And, but it's so hard to see that when you're suffering like Job is like Job. I feel like Job intellectually knows that, but he still keeps throwing his hands up and being like, okay, but like, what the fuck does that mean to me? All eight of my children are still dead. You know, yeah. like I don't care about everything happens for a reason. I just want my fucking family back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, the God shit. It's an incomprehensible, just like the mystery of like things shaking out and how, if how the ripple effects of everything for sure. And, uh, seeing how like one piece fucking leads to the next and even like some sort of deeply failed relationship, you know, propels you to the next better thing, hopefully, or just like the next piece of the puzzle, the next stage of the journey. But for sure, yeah, I don't know. It's all it's all easy to see from the outside, and it's like the same shit as <clears throat> when fucking you know people sit and watch professional athletes and they yell at the TV screen like, "Oh, why didn't you make that pass quicker?" And it's just like because they're not seeing it from a bird's eye view and can see everything you know from this broadcast view that allows you to see everything so clearly. They're like in the play. Right. Like they are only that person. Their view is their first person view. They didn't have the, you know, they didn't have the bird's eye. Um, No, totally. I think that something that this story brought up for me that I sort of was thinking about just this week. uh, I watched this movie called other people, which I highly recommend. It's on Netflix. Great indie movie, incredible cast. It's really like, it's just a great movie. I would recommend you watch it. Um, and it deals with, you know, I'm not ruining the story because the story starts with with this. But like, you know, basically this it's the story of this of this guy who's our age who his mother dies of cancer. And it's sort of the story of the process of her like slowly dying. And I think one of the themes of it is sort of that like nobody knows what to do when people are going through really hard shit. You know, if your friend comes to you and says, uh, you know, or like you run into a friend at the grocery store, let's say, you know, I think like you and I would maybe have a way to comfort each other through something really difficult because we would have more time than just like a single interaction. But if Mm -hmm. let's just say for, you know, as a thought experiment, you're at the grocery store, you run into someone that like, you know, pretty well, but you're not like best friends with them, but they're a friend. Um, and you run into them and you're just sort of casually like, Hey, how's it going? Like, how's life? Whatever. And they let slip like, Oh, not so good. Like, you know, my mom's about to die or like my mom just died. We, I think, especially in like the Western world, especially in America in 2021, we don't know what to do with that. We, no one knows what to say. No one knows like, you know, like, because all of these platitudes that normally get thrown out of you know everything happens for a reason or like 
uh, you know, you're going to be okay. Time. That's insensitive as fuck. Time heals all wounds. (laughs) Like, and that's the thing is it's like people aren't trying to be insensitive. They're deeply sensitive to the situation, but they don't, we we haven't been taught what to do with those really difficult situations. And I think something that this story of Job can really like teach us is maybe a better way to help someone through something that's very difficult. And instead of, instead of saying like, let me, let me try to say something to pull you out of your sadness because it's making me uncomfortable. Why don't I just come join you where you're at? Like, what would have, how would this story be different if Job's three friends would have really met him where he's at and been like, dude, you're right. Like, I totally see how you don't see the meaning of any of this after this happened to you. Like that's justified. That's real. And like, that's legit for you to feel that way as opposed to being like, no, let's try to steer you back towards something that's a little more comfortable for everyone else. Um, Like, I feel like people showing up for each other in a way where it's just like, if you want to stew in sadness, like I'll, I'll hold space for it. And if you can't hold space for it, then don't show up for it. Let me let me sit in your grief with you mm-hmm. so that you can maybe uh, pass off some of the burden, you know, and don't have to feel all of the weight of it. For sure. Great story, Daryl. Great fucking story, bud. Thanks. Yeah, I'm gl- always come through. I'm glad I wrote know? it, you know. It's, I'm just kidding. You're, no one knows who wrote that yeah. story. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the story episodes, you know? We've only done two of these. First live stream? Yeah, that's not God true. Damn. We've actually done a few. I told you the story of... Oh, we did Noah and the Whale? Jonah and the Whale. I also told you the story of yeah, David Jonah and Goliath. And, and then I also told you, like, the whole story of David. So we've done... We've actually done a couple of these. Um, You know... Anyway, I'm just... Uh, it's different though, you know. You're you're doing the the storytelling, and it's great. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, how you so f- a big bless up for you? How you feeling over there, bud? Uh, you mentioned that you were you were gonna go ham on some edibles. Oh, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. You look all right. Yeah, I'm great. You're still making sense. And our live stream survived the whole time, so that's good. A few people hung out. Yeah. Dower? You got Dower in the room? Oh, I think is Keisha, still here. what up? Right. What's good? My buddy James might be in here. He's been in for a while if he was. I think my mom probably hung out the whole time because she's supportive like that and, you know, yeah. hanging out. Hey, Cena. Just checking in. Yeah, your mom's great. Uh, I think, yeah, both my parents jumped in at one point. I had some cousins join. Uh, I had some old friends from Colorado join. Um, this was fun, man. Yeah. We should do, we should do another live stream like this. It's I, yeah. We did like a solid hour and a half, I think. Yeah. So I kind of dig it. And yeah, like I said, we can, uh, we can, we'll obviously, uh, post this up in the, uh, the episode feed with the, the other episodes as well. So if you uh, only caught some of the chat and you want to hear the entire story of Job told by my friend, my friend here, your bud, Andrew Harrison, my bud, <laughs> links will be in the episode notes as uh, usual. Um, 
my mom is asking if we have no heat but we have heat i'm assuming you have lights on so you have power but i know some of maybe she's just Portland wondering because lost heat maybe she's just wondering because we're both wearing beanies and hoodies yeah i don't know it's just cold it's and just this like, is yeah, like Sina, my natural not, state of winter it's 20 degrees outside so it's, it's even also because my grandparents my grandparents lost their heat. They lost the power, I think. So oh, and their heat runs cold. on electricity. They're cold. Yeah. Um. So anyway, if you're listening to this on the regular podcast and you're just like hearing weird comments about people joining the room, it's because we experimented with this live stream and it was very fun and we're going to do it more in the future. Do we have a con- collection plate? I think you could just like PayPal me directly if you're my mother. You can just... Send it on Cash App or just buy the mug. Get the Bible Buds mug, mom. Yeah, rep the mug. Get one of those. Just get the mug. Um, and uh, yeah, hope everybody's doing all right out there, staying safe during these uh, strange times and whatnot. All the uh, the links will be in the episode notes, so you can, uh, um, you know, you can follow us there, and uh, we're gonna keep bringing you these episodes definitely check out that frank schaefer episode if you haven't if you're new to the uh the bible buds and check out andrew's previous storytellings with the story of david that was one of my favorites it's like game of thrones style um story of david that was really fucking fun um and uh yeah come on the podcast hit us up if you want to come just like tell weird stories of what your religious upbringing was or uh why you don't believe in god or something or why you and, do believe uh, in god like we want to hear it all <clears throat> we want to hear it all we want your emails bible buds uh pdx at gmail.com and uh, every oh there's trent trent just joined late sorry we're uh <laughs> we're jumping off a big bless up for trent <laughs> i hope hope trent hope trent will come on the podcast soon oh, i love and, that uh, you know talk to us get super baked with us dower where are you at you probably had some some weird religious upbringing in there out in wisconsin you know <laughs> you can come burn one down with us you know in the neighborhood uh um anyway hope everybody yeah you know smoke pray love out there and uh yeah yeah and then you you bless up and try not to, to trip over snow you always want to bless up and that's a very important it's part. very important indeed <laughs>